Welcome, everybody, to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, my regularly occurring interview series where I have the privilege of sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the gaming industry. Uh, today, my guest is Hakan Abrek. He is the CEO and co-owner of IO Interactive. They are fresh off of a big hit in Hitman 3, one of 2021's biggest games already. Hakan, welcome. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you so much for uh, having me here. It is a pleasure. I, as, I, uh, as I started to research you and, and sort of learn more about you, you've had a wonderful career story large, pretty much at I.O. And, and, but before I kind of get to that, I actually wanted to start. I could not find this on the Internet, and maybe uh, everybody listening is going to think this is dumb. Maybe this is widespread knowledge that I just don't have. But what does the studio name mean? What is I.O.? I couldn't spell it. I couldn't find it. There's... There's a bird that's spelled I-O, but pronounced E-O, and then there's like input-output. So is there a right. story there? Well, I mean, um, there are a lot of uh, myths about what it is. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been with I-O for more than 14 years now, but I'm not a part of the uh, the founders. And uh, when you ask them, still know, know uh, most of them, right? When I ask them, it's like... Uh, you know, they don't even remember themselves why or what it was. Uh, you know, input output is a good guess. Uh, another one is uh, you know planets IO and right. you know stuff like that. So uh, you know they're having they're having fun with uh, being a bit uh, I guess uh, secretive uh, around that. Uh, so, but uh, honestly, I, I don't. There is not not a clear like this is it. So <laughs> uh, you know. Well, I guess that's kind of IGN's the same way. So some people, it used to be like Imagine Games Network way back in the day because that was the old parent company. So I can I can relate to that. Maybe someday you guys will, will make like a, a little anniversary video and tell us all, the founders will tell us all what it really means. And yeah, we'll get so, together with the founders and we'll figure figure it out or, or some good uh, Danish beer. Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> when all this is over, which uh, we've got the light at the end of the tunnel here. So I'll, I'll take you up on that. Now... You specifically, you mentioned you've been there a long time. So you joined IO in 2006. And what I think is really interesting about you, you didn't just come in as the CEO of, of the studio. You've held a number of roles <laughs> in that time. You were the tech department producer. You were a multiplayer producer on Kanan Lynch 2, executive producer on Hitman Absolution, executive producer of the R&D department, studio production director, head of studio, and now CEO and co-owner uh, you've really worked your way up, which which I respect the hell out of. I mean, you're not just a suit in a boardroom with a silver spoon in your mouth making, you know, major decisions for for you know hundreds of of employees. I mean, you are making those decisions, but you're you're doing it in, coming from a place of having worked alongside them. You've gotten your hands dirty. So, to you, how how important has that perspective been for you as you have now assumed the role of studio leadership? I think it's a. I think it's a very, very important part, um, like point. And uh, I think um, you know whatever, as you said, starting from a, as a as a tech producer, uh, and um, looking at the the things that you have to do as a CEO in terms of you know the business side side of things. I think it gives it gives you um, um, you know more credibility. Uh, as you said, it's not only uh, a person in a suit, but uh, you know, uh, I've, I've uh, done my time in production uh, over the years. So I, I think it gives a bit more credibility, both for you know talking to business part partners, um, but I think 
the greatest um, um, benefit of this, I would say, is that um, I have I have a great like relationship to people in the studio, and I think um, you know when you ask for some extraordinary things, when you ask people for to do something above and beyond, uh, it it does help that you tried that yourself on your own body, right? That you have some of those battle scars and you know what it means, you know, well, we can we can push a bit more here or like, you know, th th this thing is not good for the team. You know, let's, let's be mindful about this and that. So I have, I think I have, because I've been there myself, uh, I have a really good feeling for both, um, you know, the art of developing games uh, and uh, also the credibility of being a game developer. Uh, when when we talk to partners. So the studio itself has been on a hell of a ride uh, over the, the over the years, which you've been there for for most of, of that. It's uh, a tr you know many a number of transformations, and you know the, so the studio has been very successful since spinning off into its own independence uh, some years back. I'm curious, have since since uh, you guys parted ways with Square Enix. Have any other publishers called you since you guys became a you know free agent, as it were, to to try and acquire you? Because you guys went out on your own with Hitman and, and proved it all over again. So I gotta wonder if if any of the other big boys knocked on your door. Sure, I mean, um, um, you know, IO IO has twenty years plus history of making games and uh, making high quality games, and we we already, we also created four original IPs from ground up. So with that reputation, of course, uh, there were uh, other companies and publishers and whatnot uh, contacting us. Um, and, you know, to be completely frank and, and honest, there were times where, where, you know, just to put things in perspective, I think I mentioned that before in, in, in different interviews, but uh, when we went independent, we literally had three months of cash flow before we had to kind of, uh, you know, uh, close, close shop, right? And um, so there were times where it was close. At at in, in some scenarios where we'd be like, okay, we have to, we have to find an investor, or we have to kind of go with this. Um, but we really, you know, the vision we had, you know, taking the risk with doing an MBO, uh, the vision we had for uh, Hitman 2016, um, we always we knew that we built a platform where it wasn't just about you know, the performance, sell performance, the first three months or six months, we knew we were in for a marathon. We built this uh, platform where we could have this long lasting relationship with our fans and build a community. And it wasn't like in the old days where you're used to with Hitman, like the first six months, it would be like 80% of lifetime sales kind of thing, right? So it, it was a it was a slow, um, slow starter that way. But the, the different instances we had, like the life ele elements that we have planned, we believe that those would be impactful, and it just um, so we, so we kept, you know, we uh, um, the team and the management. We 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 believed initiatives would be impactful, and we we um, we kept being a bit resilient with these. Uh, some of them, some of the offers were really really attractive, right? And it would have been easy in many ways, but uh, I think at that point we were like, you know, we really we really need to. We just like uh, OIO to try to do this um, ourselves, and uh, you know the initiatives 
not only did work, uh, it just went above and beyond all our expectations. Uh, so, so we lived another day and uh, another day and another year, and then, uh, you know, went from strength to strength today, which you know, it's it's absolutely amazing. You know, it's pretty rare that that a major publisher that had acquired you years before, in in this case, IDOS, which became Square Enix, uh, would would let you walk away, and especially while keeping your arguably most valuable intellectual property to boot in the form of Hitman. So I'm just curious, this is what this show is all about. I love kind of seeing the inner works of things. Were you in the room for those discussions with Square of of how the the separation was going to occur? And what was that period? What was that period of the company's histories like uh, from the inside? Well, I mean, every day was uh, was a new adventure, right? Like every day was um, <clears throat> we didn't know what's going to happen, and I was uh, very much in there in in those talks and discussions. Um, you know, the plan was there were several plans. Uh, one of them was to divest IO, um, and uh, I think the MBO wasn't really the first kind of option that came to mind. Uh, but um, as like quickly, we we felt like um, that it meant something what the studio management wanted, like what, what the management from IO wanted, right? Like uh, it's, it, it, you know, there are almost 200 people. There's a lot of running cost for a company like that. So anyone who would consider to buy IO would obviously uh, would need to be convinced by what I and the rest of the studio management wanted to do. Right. And uh, so quickly it became a um, third party discussions, right, with whoever uh, different parties who came in and, and discussed things. And, you know, to the point I said before, we were really, you know, there, there are different models um, that were discussed about, you know, turning turning IO into a different kind of company, which maybe would have worked, maybe wouldn't. But it wasn't like what we were burning for. It wasn't like what we were like. Um, envisioning for IO's future. And um, so, you know, there were points where I was like, okay, if if it's going to save people's um, jobs, I'm okay at doing this and just walking away. If, 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 if I believed that it would have been a good thing for IO, if I believed that it would have been something that, that um, would, would, you know, both be uh, true to our uh, history, but also put IO in a position where it could keep being this powerhouse of creating new worlds, new characters, new IPs. Um, and I wasn't all that convinced with a lot of these different uh, uh, discussions uh, back then. And, um, you know, slowly we were talking about whether there's another way, right? I mean, Square Enix, as you said, is a, is a it's a bit of an unusual situation, but uh, Square Enix back then were they were heavily investing in uh, Marvel uh, deal they they made. Uh, now obviously, <clears throat> Avengers came out. Meanwhile, and uh, and also you know between the Montreal studio and the uh, and the San Francisco studio, um, so they had a lot of investments going on. And as we talked about with the episodic model on Hitman 2016, it was a disappointing start. Uh, like commercially, it was it was really really bad. So, so uh, you know, I could understand that they were looking at, uh, you know, they also don't have unlimited money, obviously, and they were looking at, okay, how how can we um, go on in the West with the investments in in the states and and Montreal, and 
and how can we maybe like look for opportunities with with with, uh, with Iron Tractor? So I like I've said that many times. I have no absolutely no bad feelings with Square Enix. Uh, actually, they've been they've been amazing uh, and in this whole process and very like transparent and uh, transparent and, and direct. Um, you know, honest. So we were presenting different models where we say, okay, like what if and this is what we believe in. Right. This is the model where IO like we'll take responsibility if IO goes down, like the bankrupt, it will be on us. And um, you know, we believe the best path forward is you know what we presented to uh, to Square Enix, right? And um, you know, they got they got a, <clears throat> a small you know minority share with them, uh, right? So which you know back then was a what was a gamble for them you could say uh, but today it it you know looking back it's uh, it was maybe a good choice it uh, it seems like it's paying off for them as well so um so that's 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 how how it ended and and actually like it every day there was new discussions and new opportunities and new alleys that that avenues that this this could turn but uh, but at the end uh, we we got Square Enix convinced uh, and uh, that that this this would be the right thing for for our interactive, and then we went for it. Well, I have a couple follow ups here because this is this is see this is super interesting to me. Like, number one, how, how did you convince them to let you keep Hitman? Because I you know that is arguably the most attractive and valuable thing that IO has has built thus far, and it's uh, most major you know big fish big shark publishers are not. <laughs> They don't usually let IP walk away with a studio that they're parting ways with like that. Usually they hang on to those IPs. So is there sort of what, what's, can you talk, talk a little bit more about how yeah. Hitman got uh, retained specifically? Cause it's, it's fascinating to me. Well, I, I think there's a number of reasons that was discussed before and I can only guess what they were uh, thinking. Um, but, you know, I was definitely arguing for why um, Hitman and IO is, you know, pretty much synonymous with with each other, and you know they were obviously also in the know in in what we built with Hitman. So it was not only a game; uh, the episodic uh, release was only the start of something that would evolve over time. I mean, the main thing wasn't the episodic really; it was uh, that it was an ever expanding universe they were creating. So Hitman Two and Three the trilogy is actually a connected universe. Right, so uh, if you buy Hitman Three, you can have Hitman One and Two in in it, like in, in the menus, like starts from Paris and to the last location, Hitman Three. So they knew that uh, if IO was to, you know, the vision, the vis vision that we were betting on, and if IO was to succeed, um, you know, and their uh, again their lottery ticket, if that was to have a chance to to uh, increase in value, then you know. Probably would be with with Hitman and we, the, the platform we built. That's one thing. And I think the other thing is uh, again back to uh, Hitman being synonymous with with IO. I think like one of the things that that we are very very proud of, and I think it's one of the core competences of of IO as a studio, is uh, the way we make like our simulations in our locations, the level design, the AI, and all these wor working together in a, in a immensely complex way and i think um Sandbox i think is, is yeah it's always been special exactly and I, and i think also uh you know the idea of just taking hitman and as an ip and say well we're just gonna give it to another studio i don't think that's very that, i don't think that's easy 
so, uh, so the talent, it's not only the IP, the IP is extremely valuable. And uh, I, I think today it's even more valuable uh, over the, you know, last, after the last four or five years now. But I think uh, the people who made Hitman and who knows Hitman are equally, uh, if not more valuable. And then you also mentioned uh, one thing I wanted to follow up on you know, in, in those discussions where, you know, what was going to happen with IO and the, the separation from the square and, and possibly having to fold in and, you know, maybe be bought by another company. It sounds like, am I sort of interpreting you correctly that it sounds like maybe somebody else would have wanted to pick you up as a, and just sort of turn, turn IO into a support studio. Is that, am I in, am I sort of interpreting that correctly? Cause it's, you're, you're talking about sort of the changing the nature of, the studio in a way that you didn't well, feel was going to be the best. Well, um, I, I, you know, I have a lot of opinions about support uh, studios. I think I hope we can talk about that a bit later. But uh, you know, I, I think maybe some of them were, were thinking that IO, you know, talent developers that could be a support studio. But uh, I mean, there were various different uh, partners that we discussed uh, various different models with, and they all had, you know, their approach to what IO um, should be or look like moving forward. And I'm sure some of them would have worked, but it, as I mentioned before, it wasn't like um, our uh, what we were burning for, what we believed in. Um, you know, it, it's not only like a support studio, uh, but it could be if you imagine like let's um, just say that um, well, if you let go half of IO and and hire analysts uh, instead uh, and optimize the content, uh, and you know, can we make Hitman free to play or things like that, right? Like uh, which, you know, um, I think future play is it's an um, it, it's very interesting. It's very uh, I think there's some really 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 cool experiences that are fit for that. But but the hitman we made in 2016 is not one of them. So we wouldn't feel right to to go with a model for that and and turn hitman 2016 back then into a future play kind of uh, kind of model. So um, and there are also other you know. You know, ambition was also thing. Uh, I O can you be less ambitious, or can you be some somebody else than you are? And uh, while I O has always been uh, adapting or trying different things, from uh, you know uh, middle aged criminals to mini ninjas for kids, uh, you know, uh, and freedom fighters and whatnot, we, we we are not afraid of trying different things, and we are very agile and adaptable. But when that is said, if if some if it's something that are hearts are not beating for pounding, you know, and we don't believe in that direction, then uh, then passion and belief is a, is a big thing uh, for us. And uh, mechanical mechanical work is, is just simply not going to work for us. You, know, you mentioned a minute ago that you, you hoped we'd talk more about support studios later. So let's do it, because I'm kind of curious what you, you clearly have opinions on this. I mean, to me, as, a, as somebody who plays a ton of games and covers games for a living, it, boy, it really seems like support studios are that that term might almost be even unfair. It's almost like you need that those co-development partners more than ever now as games get bigger and more ambitious. So, yeah, how how do you feel about about co-development, about support studios, about about partners and trying to bring your visions to life? Well, I, I think uh, I think it's a huge strength to work with. Um... You know, extended teams. We've done that before. We work with uh, with with Sumo, and we work with companies in 
in the Netherlands and in Austria for, for many, many years. And we have fantastic relationship uh, to them. Back in the days, we were outsourcing a lot to, you know, to China, just over the fence outsourcing. But for many, many years, we've kind of treated and built our partners as, as, as extended teams, get, got them very proficient with our own engine and whatnot. So I think, I think the flexibility, you know, it's, it's not something about like, it's not because of price or saving money. It's, it's really about uh, flexibility. Uh, when you need uh, when you need that help, the timing of that that is very important. And you know, I would rather have uh, talented people that we respect and that we see as our equals than than uh, you know trying to save money. That has been our uh, mentality all the time. But when I said about uh, support studios, it's because like um, we are when when we went independent, it was. As I said, we only had three months of cash flow. It's pretty tough things in front of us, pretty tough uh, decisions we had to make. We were 174 people at that time, almost half of the team we had to let go to survive another day. Um, today, we are more than 200 people. So we've grown over over the last four, four years, and that growth is going to be more exponential moving forward. Um, and the way... The way I wanted to grow, um, it you know, I, I, I changed my thinking around how how to grow uh, studios or or the team, uh, because I've been with IO back back in the days where I was a producer of one of the projects, and we had like four AAA projects, two engines, three actually, under the same roof, uh, and we were like you know, over uh, almost four hundred people in in one building, and. There's something about the culture there when you have these different projects and you're you're that many people on the same roof. You know, you create these different subcultures. You create this uh, these you know, in some cases, I would say um, a bit almost like uh, animosity, like uh, like unhealthy uh, competition under the same roof, right? So we, which was a bit of a shame. Um, so I was thinking, like, how can we do that differently? We're going to grow. It's going really well, right? We're doing well. We're going to grow. We have these opportunities. Let's go for it. So how are we going to do that? And there's something called the uh, the Dunbar number. There's something like uh, around 140, 150 uh, people. Like also, um, I read a book called Sabians by Havari. I re- really recommend that uh, uh, book. It's it's amazing. Um, he also talks about how we can how we build relations and how you know. What is the capacity of of having like putting a face on people and feeling like this is a place where I belong and it still feels familiar and doesn't turn into this uh, factory uh, factory kind of uh, factor that we talked about, right? Um, and um, so so the building we live we live in Copenhagen, our studio can easily have three hundred plus people, but we are around one hundred fifty in Copenhagen, and um, we have opened a new studio in Malmo. In Sweden is you know very close by, just on the other side of the bridge. It, it's another country, but we are neighbor country, so it's, it's it's very close. But the reason for 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 doing that is because I don't want to be more than 150 people in in one building. Now IO can be three, four, five hundred plus people, and millions of people can collaborate over you know uh, uh, all over the globe. But there's something about the efficiency and something about fe- feeling like belonging. Uh, that you you lose if you go above that. So Malmo is the same thing. Like it's uh, we are almost fifty people there, and we're gonna keep growing there. And uh, you know who knows? Maybe one point soon we'll uh, we'll 
uh, announce our third third location. So what what I like to say is we are one we're one studio in in different locations. And what I mean with that, sorry, there's a lot of talk to get to the support uh, studio part. But no, what I mean with that is, what I mean with that is, like we have, you know, we have 007 that we work on, we have Hitman that we're working on, and maybe we can talk about, uh, or not talk about, but just gonna mention we're working on something else as well, something third, uh, something completely new, new a new IP, and um, and Hitman uh, Three, the game director was working from Malmo. And the executive producer was working from Copenhagen, and it's kind of zigzag. Uh, you know, you could have a lead working from Malmo and and another lead, another domain working from Copenhagen. The point I'm trying to make is that what's important in a, in IO is our projects, and everybody uh, should feel uh, first grade citizens uh, if you're if you're a part of IO. And it doesn't matter if you're in Malmo, it doesn't matter if you're in Copenhagen, and it doesn't matter if you're in you know, whatever, Netherlands or Austria or whatever you are, if you're working, if you're Ionian and working on one of our projects, you might have, you could have a very impactful role. And uh, and there's nothing about like a support studio mentality. Everybody's working on, on, on the projects on equal equal terms. And I think, uh, you know, both with the avoiding the factory uh, kind of mentality and having this overarching values, the culture we have, but also having giving space for having these local um, uh, values under that umbrella value, and uh, having that like uh, opportunity to be working as you know impactful roles on whatever project we have, regardless of where you are in the world. I think those things are very very important and a very important value for us in in our growth moving forward. It's really interesting, and I, I would imagine just listening to you. Uh, talk through that. I would imagine that the past year with the pandemic has probably only reinforced your thinking there about sort of distributed workflow. And if you have a great candidate that lives somewhere, maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't, you don't have to have 400 people under one roof. Is, is, uh, are, is, is IO sort of becoming more open to, you know, if there's a great, say, uh, programmer in in uh, Canada, is that you know, is is that something that that IO is starting to adapt as well? Is is uh, more teammates around the world? Yeah, I mean, if there are some really really gifted people uh, around the world, we have we have some individuals who are working, uh, you know, in different cities in Europe and, and whatnot uh, that 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 we can work with. But um, <clears throat> and and I, I just want to say that. That's true. We were um, both working with, you know, Sumo, and we were working with, all, you know, companies in Austria, and we opened the Malmo studio way before the pandemic started. Right. Uh, so we had some some training in that. Uh, so and uh, so I think in the start when we had to kind of work from home, we were we were very effective. When that is said, uh, over time, I would say like after the first three four months, um, the the cabin fever hits in because although uh, we ha we are very flexible, it's still important to have that, like um, the energy, you know, taking, Absolutely. getting some energy, giving some energy, still being around people. The micro alignments uh, are invaluable, and it's not only for you know managers; it's also important for for developers, right? So we are we are seeing that you know the cabin cabin fever is definitely kicking in. 
so so I wouldn't say like the, our point is not to like have uh, 500 people in 500 different homes around the globe, uh, but uh, but have these certain size, the optimum size, as 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 I believe and call it, uh, location studios around around the world, where they still can get together and still have have a feeling of unity, having feeling of identity and and getting energy from 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 each each other, right? And uh, so I think that's that's the main thing. So like I guess with many other people, we are also looking forward to uh, getting back into the office. Yeah, I mean, I can. I think we can all relate on the cabin fever. And even from a game development perspective, you, know, you, you talk about the energy. I mean, how about when you're all trying to do a build review, which you do in the same room together and everybody's watching the same thing and calling things out and taking notes. That's That's probably one of many, many things that as someone who's not a game developer, I don't have full insight on, but there've got to be a million little things like that, that, that are, uh, difficult, if not impossible to replicate in a, in a remote scenario. Yeah. I mean, build reviews depends on what phase you are in the production, like Hitman and the team is, the team is absolutely amazing. And they're kind of, they're on their peak of their game when it comes to building uh, Hitman, right? Like, uh, um, I was talking about this connected world between all three games and it is actually a one executable so when we introduce new features into hitman 2 and 3 or visual upgrades um, those have been retroactively fitted into hitman uh, 1 and 2 after you know with the latest improvements in hitman 3 so it's kind of a one one executable and i think like the team has been absolutely fantastic they've been developing and delivering hitman in pandemic times why we published that ourselves as well and we it came out in 10 platforms and both on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X uh, versions, next-gen versions as well, on the Switch as well. So, uh, <clears throat> so that, and, and VR as well in pandemic time. So they've been really, really uh, doing a great job. But also that, that's also because they, it's almost like saying they know Kung Fu, they know Hitman, they know how to do that, uh, right? Uh, and, and, and been been training on that on journey for the last eight years on that. Um, it's a bit different on other areas. We feel like uh, while we still have, we are having like some of the incubation work, some of the you know very explorative R and D work. We do feel that there is uh, it's harder. Like you need the small um, pre-production team to be to be closer uh, and just try things out. Could you just up that with three points? How does it feel for them back? And it's difficult to kind of start a start a teams meeting around each small micro discussion there right so we so we feel the impact there um but uh but hitman was uh, you know was was um uh, like a, a second second nature like a the, like another sixth sense for them well and the end result showed it i mean you guys you know this is this is why i love the story of of you guys becoming independent and betting on yourselves and now here we are 2021 Hitman 3 is a, uh, first, let me talk about the critical success. Uh, 87 on Metacritic. I'm not sure if you really pay attention or, or care about that necessarily, but it is a, I mean, we have our own <laughs> issues with, with what Metacritic is and isn't as far as, you know, trying to boil everything down to one number. But, but that does, just in a, as a snapshot, it matches Hitman 2 Silent Assassin as the highest Metacritic rating the series has ever achieved. So I'm curious, during the course of Hitman 3, I mean, did 
did you just, is there a point where you know that you've got a, a winner with this one? Cause you mentioned 2016 and the, and the reboot, not getting off to the great start and then Hitman two kind of moving back in the right direction. But did three really is just a, an absolute home run. So where, you know, did, did you know that it was that you, you really nailed it? Third time's the charm, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, um, you ne- you're never you're always nervous, right? I mean, we had a really good feeling. We really felt uh, the the overarching story, the characters, you know, the the the, the closure that we were um, that we are that we were uh, getting to with Hitman Three. We really felt uh, that the characters were coming more front and center, and this conflict uh, was you know was felt was was get was was uh, more impactful to the to the player. Um, one of the pillars for Hitman 3 was also uh, in intimacy, and I really feel that the team pulled that out, uh, pulled that off um, perfectly. Um, you know, it's also the first time Diana she's in the game in one of the locations, and you you know you get to play play uh, and and do things together with her, right? So it was much more personal, much more intimate, and the story I think was more uh relevant and and impactful to to the gamers so those things we 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 did feel i mean one of the reviews and this is you know this is this is true there's no bullshit uh, sorry my language but uh one of the reviews i was literally getting you know uh getting emotional and it was just uh the guys were like hey we we have this build and it's you know with diana and this is gonna happen and uh and um and I, I, you know, I'm I'm not as close to the production as as I was. I'm having these monthly reviews, right? And uh, one of them, they got this these moments together, and uh, I was, you know, I was literally uh, moved. And that's where you feel it. You know, this is this is true. This is something. This this feels genuine. And uh, and at that point, I think that that was the pivotal point where I was like, okay, this is um, not only the level design. Which just kept improving and getting better and better. Not only that, but emotionally connection, it, it's 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 there. I can feel it, and I'm getting goosebumps when I talk about it right now. So at that moment, I got I got very confident. Uh, I think everybody got more and more confident when those moments got together. Um, but you never know, right? Like um, I remember when we did Absolution. Absolution was a was a different Hitman experience, right? It was a more linear experience and um the game the concept for that game when it came out like when when the pre-production was happening it was like you know inspirations from max Payne and and, and uh, games like that uh, but just because we we're doing a new engine like a new upgrade major upgrade on the engine it took way too long to do that game and uh, when it came out it just felt like the uh, open world or sandbox games were in again and mm-hmm. it felt just uh wrong or you know for a lot of hardcore fans i'm very proud of the game but uh but as a game but i i understand the fans were like okay you know this is not the hitman they wanted and after that we were like uh you know it had been when we did hitman 2016 it had been like 10 years where we haven't done like a classic hitman sandbox uh, level right and our fans were like you know do they still have the ability to do a, a hitman game Right, those were the kind of questions, and Blood Money was always like pulled, like mentioned, like this is the best Hitman game. They're never going to top that. Um, so yeah, with the Episodic, there were some bumps on the road with the Episodic model, but it was pretty clear from the get-go 
that the levels, you know, Paris, Sapienza, that they were they were something special. And you know, I, I tend to say the Danish fairy tale story about Octa Duckling and turning into a beautiful swan. That that journey we already had along with with Hitman One uh, during the episodes, right? So, um, you know, and just 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 perfecting perfecting that over the years. I think um, I think um, yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, that's been pretty amazing. And I love too that you on the commercial success side, you talk about how at one point you had three months of runway left, and and uh, that Hitman 2016 didn't do nearly as well as as you'd hoped, and that uh, you know you the models of oh you know doing eighty percent of of your business in the first six months are kind of uh, changing, but then we come to Hitman Three, which as I said, critical success, and then commercially. Uh, you come out and announce that Hitman 3 is profitable in a week. So, one, do you throw some sort of virtual party for the team <laughs> at that to celebrate that moment? And and did that exceed your expectations? I mean, I would imagine so, but I'm sort of curious, like, was that just like, was that a big surprise that it was that commercially successful that quickly? It was. I can honestly say that it was, you know, above our uh, sales budgets planned. Um, like Hitman One, it took four years for it to recoup all its costs, right? Wow. And um, and uh, you know, shorter with Hitman Two, um, but Hitman Three definitely, like historically, I, I we've never, you know, I think we've never released a game that recouped our uh, costs that quickly. And it just, um, you know, it's a kind of a Double double impact on the you know pat yourself on the shoulder factor right with with the team uh, doing an amazing game and uh, and this is this is Hitman three we are publishing ourselves and as a publisher also to do better than what Hitman one and Hitman two did with with other publishers right um, so you know we are extremely proud and uh, I think the right word I'm like. The right word for it is, um, you know, extremely grateful. Uh, and to the, to your point, whether Metacritic means something, you know, I agree. It's it's difficult to kind of cook those things down to a number, um, whether you're looking at op open critic or Metacritic, whatnot. But it, but it does mean because that, that means something, right? That is what we have. And uh, like from a professional pride, it, it it means a lot. And when we 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 um, we had a huge studio meeting in, in Teams, right? The whole studio was locked onto Teams. And uh, when the embargo was lifted, we refreshed the uh, you know open critic and metacritic sites. And they were just starting to trickle in, uh, like kind of a catch-up effect, right? Or like, uh, you know, if you had a low one, you're waiting for, ah, I hope, uh, you know, big, you know, higher ones are going to come and whatnot, right? And uh, when it was in the high spot, you were like, I hope it's not going to drop uh, kind of thing, right? So. It was amazing, and that meeting, like this, is when we launched. Uh, you know, before we launched, uh, before twentieth uh, January, that meeting is still active. Uh, so it's called in Teams. It's called uh, pre pre launch. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Metacritic uh, meeting kind of thing, right? Uh, it's it's called that, and and that is still ongoing, where people are still posting things. You know when we do a roadmap and there's another article or some 
community uh, <clears throat> community uh, fun fun things and whatnot. So they're still posting things there and uh, and it's, it's still active. Like it's still uh, as I speak to you now, things are popping up in, in Teams, right? Like uh, so, so that's pretty amazing. And of course, we're looking forward to having a uh, a fantastic party uh, when we get together at one point when you know hopefully when the world turns a bit more normal again but until then we kind of have a have a window into each other through this uh to this meeting that just uh keeps keeps going and makes us uh really happy so you know again grateful absolutely grateful absolutely smashing um fantastic and uh you know uh commercially keeps going well uh and apart from this game itself being success it it does tons for io right we took a great risk it would have been the easiest thing in the world to get a partner uh, after hitman 2 that we proved that we can do fantastic game keeping the consistency consistency the quality and uh, you know the momentum and the strength and the and the stability we had it would have been the easiest thing to get a partner for hitman 3 but again just like when we went uh, independent um you know who does wins we went for it uh we took some big risks uh, and um, even with pandemic times, and said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna sp- spend our money, as, you know, our cash flow, and going for it. And uh, and that's because we did believe we did believe that we know Hitman best, and we know our community, our gamers, our fans best. And uh, we just wanted to both create and give this game to our fans directly unplugged unfiltered and um, it turns out uh, it was uh, it was a good thing well yeah you bet again you bet on yourselves and you reap the well-deserved rewards i i love the story of of io and this game specifically now kind of you mentioned the release date it came out in late january there in hindsight you could have never planned for it but do you feel like you kind of lucked out in a, in a sense with again not to take anything away from the quality of the game the success of the game but but do you feel like you kind of lucked out with the release date as you know hitman 3 is really the first big game of 2021 after two i i would say pretty quiet next-gen console launches overall i i i feel like you guys were in a great spot of people were just wanting a new qual- high quality AAA experience and and you provided that in a in a time when there really wasn't too much else absolutely i mean um, i keep saying from from the get-go our our success is uh, is a mix mixture of of skill i think we have that uh something about timing like uh like agility uh and uh, and the last thing is luck there's always a, a factor of luck in this business as well, right? So you bet on something and it doesn't turn out like that, or something happens and turns out like that. I think one thing that we were uh, very adamant with was that, like Hitman has has always, like Hitman has a very, very um, core and loyal fan base, um, but it's not necessarily like everybody's cup of tea, right? It's not like a, um, you know. Uh, it's maybe not uh, approachable like uh, Call of Duty, for example, uh, a game like that would be, right? Um, because it's 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 it still has it's still unique, it's still different. You know, it's not like the best way of playing Hitman 
is not necessarily just uh, pulling out your gun and shooting right. shooting way through, right? Yeah. So uh, stealth so games have never necessarily been super mainstream, right? So yeah, yeah. So um, and I've always throughout, you know, as as we talked about before, I've been with IO almost fifteen years, and over the years I've always been like, you know, okay, we spent these crazy amount of marketing money in a window where you know classic classical uh, box products around Christmas or uh, around March, you know, this fiscal year uh, times, there's a lot of titles coming out in, in, in those uh, periods. And and Hitman, you know, came out in those windows, like Hitman Absolution came out in November. Uh, Hitman um, 2016 was out in March. And uh, Hitman 2 came out in November as well, uh, 18. And <clears throat> I was, for the longest time, like uh, betting on, I, I think January. I think January uh, is a great, great month. Like for these uh, big uh, games, uh, I think Hitman is great big as well. But oh, this Slugfest around Christmas and March, like I think there's a very great window for for Hitman to come out in uh, January. And you know, it just panned out really well with new new consoles, and you know that we actually could in time make a really good. PlayStation, you know, next gen versions as well for that. So obviously that that helped as, as well. So I think there's a lot of, uh, as they say in uh, Jerry Maguire, that old movie. There's a, there's a quan moment. A lot of things kind of get got together, and uh, it just fit and was perfect timing. So yeah, I mean, a part of it was was planning. A part of it uh, was um, some luck, I would say. And uh, and uh, you know, we are here today and performing more than two hundred percent compared to what Hitman 1 and 2 was uh, was was doing in the in this period. So that's fantastic. You know, I, we we talked about stealth games there just in general for a second. You're, I, this makes me want to ask you, you know, you're in control of your own destiny. IO is an independent studio. When you see that, that Metal Gear Solid is effectively dead, at least for the time being, Splinter Cell hasn't been seen in a long, long time. Thief hasn't been seen in a long, long time. Uh, you're... Hitman's kind of it for like a big budget triple A caliber stealth game. Is that is that a good thing for you guys? Or is that like do you wish that there was there were some other, you know, rising tide lifts all boats in the stealth genre? I'm sort of mm. curious how you feel about that. Well, I mean, I think I know a lot of people are saying Hitman is a stealth game. And it definitely can be played. Uh, you know, suit only or, you know, in a, in a stealth way. Um, however, I, I find Hitman to be something else. Like, it's more like a, um, uh, how do you call it? I think it's 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 almost like Simpson steroids. It's more like a role-playing, right? Like, um, it's stealth in another way. I mean, disguise is a perfectly viable way of, traversal in hitman and getting into places that you otherwise wouldn't it's not like you have to like uh, uh, spin the cell go into vents and crawl into corridors and whatnot right. to, to, to get get in there you can just like uh, you know just just walk straight in there if you have the uh, sheik's uh, outfit or whatever uh, police out, outfit or, or whatnot right so i think i think uh, there's there's definitely stealth in there but i think it's like a, as an action adventure um puzzle game role-playing game in, in yeah. some ways i think i think hitman is a bit different um 
And uh, you know, I would like to say special like that. It, it's a it's a it's a it's a different offer and experience than than those classical um, stealth games. So oh, um, oh, go ahead, sorry. And I and I think, you know, I think you know, besides this this disguised gameplay uh, and this simulation of life in these in the sandboxes and locations that we that we uh, that we create. I think we are also thinking more broadly about the Asian fantasy. Uh, I mean, of course, in context with uh, 007 now as well. So I think we identify ourselves as, you know, on that part of the creations we do as, as you know, we, you know, I, I think we pretty much own the Asian fantasy in, in, in gaming right now. And uh, I think that's what we want to um, identify ourselves with first and foremost. But uh, but sure, there's, there's, of course, a very viable way of playing stealth gameplay in hitman uh, if if that's the way you want to you want to play the game so the next question i had for you uh, i'm i'm now wondering if i should change because you you sort of touched on this a, a little bit while ago when you were talking about the the structure of the studio and the future of the studio with with uh, in fact three ips three projects so i was going to ask you is it fair to say that hitman 3 is the last new hitman game for the foreseeable future given that a this was a trilogy and B, you have 007 now, but it sounds like is is Hitman gonna continue on uh, with with the growth of the studio? Yeah, so I think um, our thinking right now is that Agent Forty Seven deserves a bit of a rest. Like he's he's been busy uh, with yeah. the uh, <laughs> last 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 three uh, three games, um, but I think when that is said. You know, we are incredibly busy with the uh, life, uh, life beats, uh, life elements, uh, supporting the world of assassination, as we called all three, call all three games. Um, you know, for almost five years now, we've been um, releasing something new every week to our communities. Ever since we launched Hitman One, and we'll keep doing that moving forward. Um, and I believe there will be, you know, this is not the end of Agent Forty Seven. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that, like Hitman is. And absolutely, you know, as we talked about before, it's, it's also synonymous, synonymous with IO. It's a, it's a very beloved franchise of ours. And of course, Hitman will, will continue. And Agent 47 maybe is going to take a bit of a rest. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not working on some cool, cool stuff in, within the world of assassination. Uh, so there's definitely activity coming. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to, be, to, to, to talk about that uh, sometime in the future. I do want to ask you a little bit about about James Bond in a minute, but um, <laughs> I, I, while we're still on the subject of Hitman, what was your reaction when you saw the first Hitman movie for the first time? Honestly, uh, it, it wasn't as bad as the second one uh, when I saw that. Uh, but uh, I think the first one, uh, I think uh, it's kind of cool seeing it up on screen, right? That part's got to be great. Absolutely, I think the first one was all right. Like it wasn't uh, like we would probably have done it in in different way. Like we like we have we have contact, right? We've we've been in contact with um, with the producer, and uh, there were you know a few meetings where we're giving some feedback and giving insights into Agent Forty Seven's background and the universe and 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 whatnot. Um, but um, you know it's always cool. There's like we're grateful. There it's cool. There's uh, you know our our IPs characters that we create can transcend into other media, and that there are like two Hollywood movies. That's that's absolutely great. Um, and I think that I personally think the first one was uh, was interesting, um, and I 
I, uh, but but I think if we were to do it, we, we would we would uh, we would have done it a bit differently. We would have done it, um, you know, less less shooting, dual ball of shooting in the mid, midst of the streets. Uh, so it, it it would have been more close to, I think, what we were doing with the uh, with the trilogy here that we just did. I want to go back to your earlier days of uh, at IO for a second before we fast forward to to double oh seven, Kane and Lynch. Uh, what was it about that series you think that just it seemed like it didn't quite break through the way Hitman did and become <laughs> kind of a long term thing? I mean, one thing you can't uh, say about IO is that that you know that we are not correct. Uh, courageous with trying out some things that uh, that other studios maybe wouldn't uh, yeah. like uh, i think back then you know the youtube documentary kind of style uh, i also believe that it got uh, recognized for the art direction in it um and you know just just creating these different characters this quirky characters like middle-aged uh, with a dad body like like my my myself here and uh, and bold guys you know it, it's um I think it was um, like from art and from a creative perspective. I think it was uh, very, very interesting. Um, but um, obviously, uh, it did. The first one, um, I think, didn't do. It, it, it was, it was alright, but it, it didn't, it didn't like. There were some issues with some of the technical aspects as well. Like I remember things like going cover and whatnot. Uh, and when we did the second one, we went even more into, um, you know, the art and the expression um, and I think maybe looking hindsight I think a few too many compromise compromises were ma made on the feature side um, so it, I, I think it could have been it could have had more variation in, in the gameplay um, I was working on the multiplayer part on, on that and Which I remember um, being really unique wasn't it Didn't, you, that's well a, I, I mean unique mode right well you see a lot of you see a lot of um, you know what you call PvP PvE modes uh, popping up here and there in diff different games, and um, I, I guess that was one of the first PvP PvE uh, games, multiplayer games uh, created back then, uh, because you know it was pretty much about being this um, you know uh, these gangsters, uh, thieves, and you were doing these heists and you know robbing banks and whatnot and it was called fragile alliance for a reason because that was kind of the the core part of the gameplay but at any point you could escape you could shoot shoot your way through the cops and security and escape with the getaway car altogether or you could make go for an individual win and shoot the other ones in the back and get their money and get away but when you shot the other ones they would respawn as police cops and they would have a, a chance to to revenge themselves right so the 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 the, uh, the multiplayer was really really interesting. However, back in the days, we weren't thinking like um, service, right? It was a very box product. The, the, right. the campaign was the main thing, and you know, honestly, I think it was a fantastic, creative uh, game. Um, I'm especially proud of Kinglist Two, but uh, but it didn't do commercially well, and then the multiplayer was discontinued. Actually, when we changed our mentality, was uh, Hitman Absolution, when we introduced something called Contracts, uh, that was a game mode where you could, after completing the game, you could go back to these different locations and create your own targets uh, and kill them in certain ways, uh, and that would turn into a contract that you could send to another one and challenge your friends, and, you know, other people challenge your friends, and we were, we, we thought, well, that would give more longevity and it's fun, right? We were just 
playing around with those tools ourselves. We thought it was fun, so we made it a mode in the game. And then, and then uh, more than a year after, there were still 60,000 daily users playing contracts on the Hypnap Solution. And we were like, what's, what's happening here? How come? This is a single-player game, right? What, what is this? And that was actually the start of our thinking about an expanding universe for Hitman uh, 2016, right? So it's been it's been eight years coming, you know, eight, nine years almost that we that started development and we changed mentality. I literally myself stood in front of the studio and was saying like, from now on, it's gonna be first kiss, everlasting love with the community. It's gonna be a growing, uh, growing uh, experience over time. And, um, and I believe what we created with, with the world of assassination is, you know, what we call a single player as a service. Um, uh, I think we create something new in the industry. Yeah, sure seems like it, and it's and it's been working. Um, what was I found something here? Either either I'd love for you to explain this or refute it. Were you, were you working on a game for Microsoft around 2010 that uh, that you know didn't end up seeing the light of day? Yeah, there was something. There was something. Uh, yeah, I think I was talking about that earlier. At one point, we had like four uh, AAA games and several engines uh, under on the, on the same roof, and um, there were there was something, some activity, and some a, a project um, um, working with with Microsoft. But I wasn't on the project. I was a bit, you know, further away from that. I was uh, working on uh, multiplayer stuff. Uh, so. This was just before I transitioned to Absolution and took over as the lead producer on that. So yeah, but there were definitely some collaboration going on with with Microsoft, and and uh, it took another form and turned into something else, uh, as far as I remember. So all right, Bond, because I gotta I gotta let you go here pretty soon. I don't want to keep you here all day, all night. Uh, put me in the room with you for that James Bond deal. What what was your pitch to MGM? I mean, obviously you can't get into like gameplay specifics at this point, but it, I read that you spent your the team spent two years building a 007 pitch. So, what how what was the process like with with pitching MGM, the license holder? I mean, the pitch did not take two years. I think the no, pitch okay. itself maybe took um, you know uh, less than a month, uh, uh, but the whole process took uh, took a long time. You know, and the process you know it starts with. Um, our partners at, at Delphi, uh, meeting them and uh, look, talking about opportunities and, uh, you know, um, from that to first contact with MGM and, uh, you know, second contact with MGM and then meeting um, the uh, people at E.ON in, uh, in London. And so, so the whole process from the first meeting till, you know, a signature and, and you know, starting uh, pre-production, it took, you know, almost two years. Uh, and, you know, it was, um, it was very special. <clears throat> I mean, it hasn't been a Bond game for a while. And I think it's no secret that, um, that, um, you know, pe the people at Eon were maybe, you know, waiting for the right opportunity, maybe for the right um, for the right timing, and maybe for the right people to to do another Bond game. And uh, you know, we knew it it would be very difficult, but um, you know, we didn't. I think we had a very humble approach. We were like um, trying to convey, 
you know who we are and why we think um we could do a do a good bond game and you know there were times where you could be cheeky and say like it felt like and it truly felt like uh, that we've been training for this for 20 years doing doing hitman right and as i said before it's you know stealth game is one thing but it's it's really an, an agent fantasy <clears throat> and um uh, many things that you can do in hitman uh where it's not just about shooting the first opposition right away like people are not shooting just when they see you you can actually mingle amongst these uh your targets and stuff like that you know it's it's not only the the agent fantasy but it's also the tech and the and the and the game design and our competences i think they were uh, very natural to to creating a a a bond experience that is close to what eon likes to create in their in their movies uh, for example you know classical scenes like uh, bond going into a casino and just sitting right in front of his uh in front of the villain and having uh, a conversation right and uh, you know and takes takes the person down later that it's you know you can do those things in cutscenes in 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 many games uh, or, or other developers but we we can do that in game we can make you feel like bond in those situations in game and uh, so i think you know the last 20 years and seems also <clears throat> Seems also like the like the universe kind of were, was saying that IO might be a good developer of Bond because we were seeing all these different articles popping up saying like uh, you know Hitman is the closest thing to uh, to a Bond uh, uh, fantasy in gaming uh, you know you know with, with with those things and with presenting something where we would say like where we believe uh, we could make you feel like Bond you know playing the story playing the game and feel like Bond. I think those things were 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 spot on, and also I think you know we've been dabbing our feet and uh, like we we have done things like Ken Lynch and whatnot. But I think in all those years we, we've also been trying to be different, but also owning a few things like for example owning cool as we called it, like uh, the ancient fantasy of being cool. I think um, this suaveness or the the charm of uh, of 007 and you know creating these locations he's a globetrotter as well right so yeah. creating these uh, um uh, locations uh and and uh and this this um this coolness i think is something that we have a we have a good eye for um so yeah i mean it was an absolutely fantastic feeling uh, and it was nerve-wracking to meet Ian, the family in uh, in London, uh, you know the the air is filled with tradition and history, and uh, you know we we um, but it just you know we, we try to be humble and we try to convey what we what we were dreaming of, and uh, what we wanted to do, and do something that both we would be proud of and hopefully they would be proud of, and uh, it seems like they commissed them. Is there a so is there a specific designer or developer on the team that? that initially sort of like i'm just where, where was the initial germ of the idea of like we should try to do a, a 007 game well i mean uh, we've been we've been i think we've been uh, throwing it around just in fun and whatnot uh, over the years right it would be cool and and you, you know we were also like uh, smiling a bit when we were seeing these articles as i as i mentioned before like uh 
like IO should do a hit, uh, should do a bond game and, and and whatnot, right? So I think I think when it really like started to dawn on us is when um, and here I, I must give credit to um, our partners at Delphi as well <clears throat> is when they were like, you know, why not? Uh, you know, you guys are. Um, it, it makes sense when people are saying that IO is is the right company to do uh, to do a, a really really good bond game. And when and we were like all this time, you know, we were uh, smiling and it was warming our hearts when people were saying that that you know we could do a good bond game. And we were like, yeah, why not? Let's uh, let's 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 go for it. Uh, and you know, from that point on, my uh, my partner. Uh, Christian Elvedam, which is the chief creative officer, uh, he, um, you know, it's it just felt like, again, it sounds so uh, cheesy to say, but it just felt like we've been training for this for for uh, twenty years, right? It just felt so natural to uh, formulate, to articulate, what is it, what what is, what is style, what is coolness, and what what does Bond do, and what wouldn't he do? uh you know and um you know we, we we got some new new people on the on the uh, on, on the team as well who are absolutely fantastic from a story pitch point point of view uh and from you know also from really uh understanding the british uh heritage and the history uh for on uh, for for the bond ip and uh, you know we, we have we have a great team i think again this is uh this is a case of like it's been maybe brewing for some time unknowingly, but it's a case of it's the right timing, it's the right moment, and it's it's the right people uh, that are here in the studio today, uh, both old uh, old veterans and new uh, that um, that um, yeah that came together and and it has happened. Well, you mentioned you alluded to Casino Royale, but you've also said that uh, you won't be featuring like an actor, a likeness in, that we've seen in, you know, on film before in, in your games. Are you guys taking inspiration from the movies, from the books, or or um, a mix of the two? Well, important to mention, like, um, it, this is new for us. I mean, doing a licensed game is, is new, to, new to us. We've only done, we've only done uh, our own original IPs, right? We've created these characters and worlds ourselves from, from scratch. Uh, and um, so I think for us to really embrace this fully and really, as I said before, uh, we we don't like to work mechanical. Uh, you know, it's not just because it's a big IP or it's a licensed game and, and, you know, commercially, this is interesting or not. This, it means nothing to us. We've taken a lot of risks, non-commercial risks before. And uh, and so so for us, it's about, we, we, we need to feel it deep inside uh, the passion needs to be there, uh, so uh, it was very important for us that that it wasn't a movie adaptation. So it wasn't a game about you know with right. Dana Craig and with a specific movie where the story has already be, been told. It's very important that that we could create um, a, a digital bond, a bond for um, the, the the gaming industry, and that's very unique, uh, right? And and a becoming story to that. So it's a, a complete original story. So this 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 felt really really important for us, and and we conveyed that to uh, to Eon, and uh, you know they, they they agreed that the result would probably be better uh, doing doing like the, that. So, so I think um, 
you know, it, it, there's always excitement around the new bond. You know, it's it's amazing what what they have done with their franchise over the years. Every bond kind of defines a generation, and it's amazing how they kept reinventing themselves over, over so many years. So it's not we're not only inspired by one movie or 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 games and whatnot. We're inspired by the whole whole thing and yeah. just sucking things into us to to make an original bond, an original story, but that is absolutely true and recognizable in the values there is in 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 Bond. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to to creating a new uh, you know community that is that the gamers can can call their own. So it's not like a movie uh, community, but it's also a gaming community starting from from you know from from scratch and and, and growing together with uh, with the game we're going to create. Yeah. Now, uh, if you put your CEO hat back on, does it concern you at all that that MGM has put itself up for sale? Like, is there a situation where a new, if Bond gets sold, MGM sells it, could could a new owner come in and either kill your deal that you have, or or maybe even worse, end up being like a meddling, horrible partner that that won't leave you alone to to do what you guys do best? Well, I certainly don't hope so. Uh, right, of course. I mean, um, we don't have more insight to that part than than you than you have. Yeah. So, I, you know, I I wouldn't know, but um, certainly not. I I, I well, I hope that uh, if they uh, if they sell MGM, that uh, the whoever the new owner is going to be, hopefully they will see a great opportunity in this in this get together between IO Interactive and and the Bond franchise, and hopefully. They will also see that uh, that this could be a very very special uh, special game. Uh, so uh, you know, if they get sold, a new owner comes in. Hopefully, we'll have a really good relationship to them as well as we have with MGM today. Question I have for you: I, I do want to bring up you know something that's been talked about a lot in recent years in in the industry, and that's just the idea of crunch. I, I was really fascinated by your your description of, of your, your, your new thinking about the studio and not having just 400 cogs in a machine under one roof and, and sort of having these studios with their cultures and having everybody feel valued and, and, and a part of the, the pro, an important part of the process. How, uh, how do you think about as, as the, you know, co-owner, CEO of the studio, how do you think about crunch and, and the idea of, uh, trying to to balance the needs of the project with with the with the you know the taking care of your team yeah i think um i, I talked about that before uh at different interviews about crunch like um hitman i i, I mentioned that hitman absolution was was on the way for a long time so it, the whole production lasted seven years and that's why you know max Payne was really cool stuff but the world kind of moved on while that game was trying to be made and it was because this major overhaul of the technology. Uh, meanwhile, doing a game is, you know, cannot be recommended. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I came on after Ken Lynch. I took over as a as a executive producer on that uh, just two years before it was launched. And at that point, it was, you know, the technology was just barely done. It was nowhere there. It, <clears throat> although it has been on the way for five years, it didn't really have any core features. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me core features in place yet, that production was an absolutely, um, 
it was it was crazy. Like um, I mean, for me personal, I I I ran people really hard. I was really hard. We crunched a lot, and I remember personally myself. I uh, for, in two years I had two weekends where I was off both days, or else I would work every day for two years straight, no no vacation. And um, you know, I I learned I learned a ton from that. Uh, after after that, you know, I went on to to do R&D and then I went on to be studio production director. When I turned to be the studio production director, I could actually affect things on how I would like run my productions, run the EPs uh, on the different projects. So I, I, I did learn a lot from that. I did learn it's, it's not only, you know, destroying souls, uh, but it's also not an effective way of developing games. Now they, today, um, I'm not saying we're not doing overwork. We do. We do at times, but it's you know it's something that needs to be felt like a like a good clear purpose from team within within the team, and it's uh, it needs to be on a shorter periods than these long uh, uh, long crunch periods. Um, I mean, we are measuring everything with something called Pecan uh, anonymously, and we have done that for a long time, also before introducing this tool Pecan and. And we have um, a great like feedback on work-life balance. I think we're doing some good things now. I think we learned a ton from our past. Um, and um, you know, while 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 in every project-based uh, work, there will be some times where we have to be more flexible in one way or the other. Right? We are also not a company that is uh, you know where you have a punch card and you need to meet at eight or whatever. Right? If you Go to the dentist and whatnot. You are absolutely nobody would ask you where where you have been, right? So there's a lot of flexibility falling back, and I think people are, you know, at least the feedback we're getting is very positive, and and seems like we found a really really good good balance there, and we had to because, you know, also after absolution, um, when when we changed mentality and culture around being, you know, doing a marathon, doing a game. It's going to be more of a marathon than just just a sprint, right? Going from box product thinking to a service, uh, it 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 absolutely affects everything. It also affects the way you work, and you can't just say, well, it's just it's just another another you know few months and then it's out. Then we don't have to think about it. the whole studio can go home for half a year or something. That 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 doesn't go when you work uh, uh, and you run a marathon. So it was also about. Keeping keeping our energy and keeping people's front lobes fresh, right? And uh, of course, also very important as we get uh, older and wiser, not to make people estranged from their uh, loved ones and families at home. And these things are extremely important. I think it's also part of the Scandinavian mentality. And as I talked about, um, you know, other studios locations under IO in the future. Um, that culture, that thinking, those values, uh, with the with the human humans in, in in front and center, is something that will will uh, spread and carry on. Kanabrik, thank you so much. The CEO, co-owner of IO Interactive. Uh, many congratulations to you and your team on the well-deserved success of Hitman Three. We've got 007, possibly as a trilogy. You've alluded to to look forward to there, and sounds like maybe even a third project. Uh, might be waiting in the wings as time goes on. Uh, Hakan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. For more Bye -bye. from the best, brightest, and most interesting minds in the games industry, check back every month or so for a new episode of IGN Unfiltered.